We're going to talk about the good, the bad, and ugly of marriage. How many, there's two types of people here today, uh, those that are married and those that are not. How many of you are married? Would you raise your hand? <clears throat> mm. Now, wait, wait, put it back up. Some of you are not raising your hand and I know you're married. It's like you're ashamed. How many, all right, put your hand down. How many are not married? <clears throat> okay. Now, how many of you today are married and you're happy about it? Would you raise your hand? Good. We're off to a great start. <laughs> how many are not married but you wish you were married? Oh, good. <laughs> how many say, I, I, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and ain't never going back? <clears throat> I was really wondering who'd raise their hand on that one. There's actually three types of marriages. There's the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, we don't, we don't like talking about the, the ugly part. And we really want to overlook the bad, but we have to deal with it. There's nobody in this room that wants to have a bad or ugly marriage. Would you all agree with me on that one? Amen. It's okay to say amen or uh-huh or something. Uh, <clears throat> so the, the bottom line is when it comes to marriage, we all... We all desire to have a good one. I want a good marriage. Got married like 15 years ago. I said like because I'm pretty sure it was 15 years ago. So everybody, everybody wants to have a great marriage. I, I actually set my timer for Richard because I want to keep track of time. And I set my alarm instead for one minute. And I can't figure it out. So it keeps on going off every minute. Chris, you're going to figure it out. And then you're going to give me my phone back and set it on a timer. Could you do that because you love me? How long you get? 15 minutes. Oh, you're a punk. He said, how much do I set it for? 15 minutes? <clears throat> I love you, Chris. So if you want to talk about a good marriage, we've got to go to the first marriage. Y'all ready? Let's jump into this, all right? Genesis chapter 1. You're like, I cannot believe we're going back to Adam and Eve. We always talk about Adam and Eve when it comes to a good marriage. Well, they had a great one because they were perfect, okay? They're a great, great example to look at. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And so the Bible says, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Verse 31, you got it? Oh, you're wonderful. <clears throat> He's wonderful, say it, just give him an applause or something. We really took that too far. <clears throat> Let's get back to the word of God, all right? Verse 31 of of the same chapter. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. Very good. Thank you. It was what? And then something happens in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not what? That a man should be what? I will make him a helpmeet for him. How many agree it's not good for a man to be alone? Would you raise your hand? From the beginning of time... God intended for marriages to be good. And that's why he designed it the way he did. He, remember, marriage is by design. How many would agree with that? Would you raise your hand? I'm going to keep you interactive because I don't want you falling asleep. I want you to focus. The problem is, is mankind has tried to restructure what marriage is all about. And I'm not just talking about same-sex marriage. I'm talking about we've restructured the way marriage is supposed to be because we put our priorities in the wrong areas. You get married and you're doing really good and then the kids come along and you're obsessed with that kid and then they become the primary focal point of your home and your husband or your wife's forgotten or work becomes the focal point. That's not good and that's not what it's about. 
uh, not only that, no longer is it about commitment, it's about a contract. We uh, coexist together, so therefore, we're married, you know, not really. I got a commitment, you don't. You're just living together, okay? If you want to step into my world, get married, put a ring on it, and then we'll talk, okay? There's a big difference, amen? I know that's not popular, but it's the way it is. I had a guy put in my wood floor and, and the other guy with him, and I said, who's this guy? And he said, oh, this is my brother-in-law. I said, oh, cool, good to meet you. And he said, yeah, I'm dating his, uh, his, uh, his sister. And I'm thinking to myself, then he's not your brother-in-law. You don't have that right. See, we want the rights of marriage, but we didn't do it the right way, and that's not good. So God didn't intend it to be that way. God wants you to get married and a man not to be alone. Up until Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, everything God has done has been good, very good. But in verse 18 of chapter 2, we see a problem, and the problem's not good. We just read it, and the problem is there's an incomplete family here. Adam's alone. How many of you guys know what it's like to be alone? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, I know. It's It's not pleasant, is it? I, on a serious note, I was talking to one of the men of our church, lost his wife some time back, and he said, sometimes I doze off on the couch and look over to the right where she would sit, and she's not there. Just felt incomplete. There's this loneliness, this emptiness. Um, how many of you men know without your wife you're absolutely worthless and lost? You know what I'm talking about? One of you? Really? Maybe two? Wow. Because God designed it that way. Hey, listen. Uh, man and women were to live together in the bonds of a good marriage. God don't want us to be alone. God wants us to have a family. God said, Adam needs a help me. Adam needs a wife. God looked down and said, that boy right there needs some help. I don't know what all went down, but I know in Genesis, the Bible said, let us make man in our image. That's speaking God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the triune God. I imagine God looked down and said to God the Father, excuse me, God the Father looked at God the Son, and God the Son looked at the Holy Spirit and said, look what he's doing. Adam is going to mess up the world. He just called that fat bird a dodo bird. And we have him naming all the animals. We better get a woman in this man's life or everything is going to fall apart. How many of you ladies think it might went that way? You can always tell when a guy's single, right? You can spot them. They don't know what an iron is. If you go in their house, they only have mustard in the refrigerator. Even their social skills are just a little bit off. So, guys, I'm sorry, but you got to accept this. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 22, Whosoever findeth the wife findeth a what? It's good to get married. You say, I'm just struggling with my thought life. Well, get married. It's great. Because your wife, she's a pleasant surprise because God ordained it to be that way. And she is there to be your help me, your accountability partner. You say, I need accountability partner. She will be there to be your accountability partner. I need somebody to talk to. I promise. (laughs) She will talk to you. (laughs) whether you like it or not. So to start things off, we're going to look at a good marriage, and in order to do that, we got to continue looking at Adam and Eve, all right? Adam and Eve not only had a good marriage, they had a perfect life. Think about it. Man, they frustrate me, those two. Adam is created with a six-pack, I think. 
He was perfect. He had to. He was, he was the man. He had beautiful hair. He, he was just, he had it going on. He's walking through the garden, snacking on grapes and not worrying about clothes. That is true life. Talking about living it. But it didn't stay that way. You know what I'm saying? It didn't stay that way. Because marriage goes through different stages in life. It's not always going to be good. Sometimes it gets bad. And, and, and then sometimes it gets really ugly. And uh, when marriages go bad, they always go ugly. And I'm afraid to say that these perfect people that had a perfect marriage ended up having an ugly one in the end. So how many of you know what I'm talking about when marriages get ugly? You know what I'm talking about? I would not have raised my hand on that one. <laughs> we know who you are. But you're not alone, because I know how it is too. Because we all go through those seasons of marriage. So let's jump right into it and look at a good marriage, okay? We're going to hurry along here, because I got a timer. Junk. My phone almost, ah, oh, my phone's dead. You're on your own. I'm not kidding you. My life, I tell you, all the obstacles come my way. And uh, we're going to look in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. <laughs> Plugged in my phone last night, and I noticed that I have a bad cord, so I thought I'd charge it up in my truck this morning, and it didn't charge all the way, so we're going to keep an eye on the clock. But I want you to keep your eye on the Word of God. I'll take care of the clock. Because right here is where some of you are, and you're loving it, and you think it's going to last forever, and I hope it does. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, the good marriage, begins with submission. So when I look at Adam, before Eve came on the scene, here's what happened. Genesis 2.15, and the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. The good marriage <clears throat> begins with submission, and the submission is to do the work of God. The work of who? It's not about us. It's all about him. Before Adam ever met Eve, Adam learned to work. Man was built to work. A real man is built to work. At least I think so. Men like to do projects. Do you all agree? <clears throat> okay, let's just test it. How many of you are married to a man, and since you've been married, there's been a building project going on from the beginning of your marriage? You, you live in a remodel construction zone. Or how many of you have a car in your yard and your husband says, don't touch that car, we're not going to remove it, I'm rebuilding that car, and it's been 15 years. They love projects, that's why he married you. He loves projects. I'm not talking about a complete makeover, a fixer-upper. He's walking on things there. I hope that's not true. But God designed us that way. We want to work on things. Please understand, the physical aspect of work is not the emphasis here. The submission to do what is necessary for God's work to be done is the emphasis here. God designed Adam with a will to have things done right. See, let me remind you, it's very important for you to understand, marriage takes work. Would you agree with that? What are the characteristics of work? Well, I would say work takes effort. If you got a job, you have to set the alarm clock and get up in the morning, right? That takes effort. <clears throat> you, you may not want to continue with your marriage, but it, it, it takes work. It takes effort. I was talking to a man not too long ago. He doesn't live here and doesn't even live in the state. 
He was frustrated with his marriage. We talked about a lot of stuff, and in the end, guess what he said? He said, I just don't care anymore. I just don't want this. That's when he quit working at his marriage. There's no more effort there. You following me? Work is also hard. It is hard. If you're going to do what it takes to make it happen, it's not going to be easy. People often get in marriage and think it's easy. This is going to be so easy. I love you. You love me. We're, we are in love. And it's going to be beautiful. And we're going to have twins. And they're going to be beautiful. And we're going to have a beautiful house and a picket fence. And bleh, bleh. No, you're not. No, you're not. Half the time your laundry is going to be on the floor. And you're going to have to work on your husband and say, pick it up. It's gross. Pick up your dirty laundry. Would you put the toilet seat down? Could you please just work with me? And it's hard. Work, it's not only an effort, it takes, it's hard, but it takes time. Let me tell you something. People rush into marriage and rush out of marriage. If anything's going to be done right, it takes time. It takes effort. And Adam learned the quality of work and how important it was to work for God's perfect will in his life. God knew Adam was going to have to learn the necessity of work, and it was even going to have to take place before Eve came on the scene in order for him to have a good marriage. I believe that. We cannot submit to the work of God in, in our marriage if we haven't personally worked on our personal walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. I'm afraid to say that in our marriages, we have focused so much on the other, we forgot to focus on ourselves and work on ourselves, making sure our walk with the Lord is right. By the way, if you're looking to get married, don't look for the right one. Just be the right one and you'll find the right one. You probably heard that before because it's true. You need to work hard to make sure your walk with God is right. And when you're right, God knows it's right for you to have the right one in your life. Because if you ain't right, you're just going to mess everything up. So the good marriage begins with submission, submission to do the work of God. That's what Adam was doing. And also submission to do the will of God. Submission to do the will of God requires obedience. Look at the very next. We're just going straight through scripture. He laid it all out for us. It's so easy, isn't it? Submission to do the will of God requires obedience. Genesis chapter 2 verse 16. And the Lord commanded, <clears throat> and the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayst freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely what? All right, you're still with me. God promised Adam a good marriage if he would just obey. And he did. Adam did. Before the fall, Adam was doing exactly what God told him to do. He was determined to do what God told him to do. He was working hard. He was doing the will of God by obeying God. And Adam's marriage flourished. <clears throat> Before the fall, he was doing so good and the marriage was doing so well. But then something happened. If we fast forward, we know in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, the Bible tells us, that we, if we are conformed and have the renewed mind, the Bible says that he may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, Adam's marriage flourished before the fall because he chose to obey God in a personal way. Prove means test me, try me, find out for yourself if I can do some incredible things in your life and give you a good marriage. Obey God. 
do his will. Submit to God's will and obey him. And he said, I will prove to you in a big way that things will be perfect and you will flourish in my will. I wonder how many in here want a good marriage. You think you have a good marriage, but you're not submitting to the will of God. You're working on things, but you're not submitting to the will of God. You're not obeying what God commanded you to do in your marriage. I'm going to get real personal and a little bit awkward, okay? Are you submitting to one another's needs? Wow, it's so quiet in here. Seriously. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, when it's talking about the marriage, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then the Bible says in verse 33, <clears throat> nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, so love his wife even as him, what? The self. And we, as a, a woman, is to reverence her husband. That means to respect. I ask you the question, if you feel like you have a good marriage and you're submitting to the will of God, then are you obeying his will in your marriage, which is to love your spouse and submit one another's, to one another's needs? Are you doing that? Are you? Are you putting your spouse first and you last? I know that's not comfortable, but we have to learn to do it. I love the book, The Five Love Languages. Anybody ever read the book, Five Love Languages? If you haven't, you need to get it. It really opens your eyes to the needs of your spouse. If you're obeying God in your marriage and doing his will and obedience, you also will be engaging in sexual purity in your marriage. <clears throat> you know the bed is undefiled for those that are married, but yet our flesh is just anxious before we get married, and then we do get married, things happen, right? You get married and you have kids and your spouse, is like, I'm just tired. Yeah, I know we're getting real detail now. <clears throat> And then before you know it, you, you drift away sexually. And things are not happening in the marriage. You, you can't even remember the last time your spouse reached over and held your hand or gave you a kiss goodnight. Things are not going right. Marriage is honorable. And the bed is undefiled. But yet, you wait all your life as a good Christian to meet that right one, to only be with that one, not to do anything outside of, uh, of, uh, of your marriage or your relationship, to be with that one sexually. And then after five years and the honeymoon's over, everything shuts down. Let me tell you something. That is disobedience to God's command. You say, I don't understand why my husband's dealing with this or my wife's dealing with this. Maybe because you're neglecting her from the gift that God ordained for married couples to have. A sexual relationship was not for young people to go out and do what the Bible calls adultery, fornication. No, it was intended for a husband and wife to indulge in and enjoy because it's pure and it's honorable before God. But yet we have neglected that in our homes. I've even met with some couples, and they literally say, she wants nothing to do with me. Sometimes I have to look at them and say, I can see why. You know? <clears throat> we need an extreme makeover in your life. And that does weigh in in a lot of different ways, you know? But the fact is, if we are going to have a good marriage, there has to be submission to the work of God, and there's got to be submission to the will of God, and that requires obedience. And obe obeying God means you look at everything he's required and ask of us to do in our marriage. And that means you must be submitting to one another, you must be engaging in sexual purity in your marriage, and, and being healthy in that area. And let me tell you something, if you're one of those couples that it's been months and months and si since you were together 
sexually speaking, then there's a problem in your home and you better get it right because your marriage is going to go from good to bad to ugly and there's fornication that's going to enter in and there's going to be pornography enter in and that's not what you want. I'm just being honest. I'm so tired of people not just shooting it straight. This is the way it is. So, well, we're just so tired. Change your schedule. The kids are up late. Put them to bed early. Give them some NyQuil. I'm not saying we've done that, but. You know, the Bible says submission to the will of God requires obedience, not only in those areas, but to love each other as Christ loved the church. Man, that's a sacrifice. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the what? And gave himself for it. <clears throat> it's all about just putting away what you want for what your spouse wants. You know? It's not about you. It's about them. Submission to the will of God also requires trust. Going to the very next passage of scripture. In Genesis. <clears throat> Man. Genesis. I love iPhones. Genesis chapter 2 verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept. In other words, he just let everything go. And he took one of his ribs, and you know the story. The Bible says he closed him up, and from that rib, God made a woman. You see that in verse 22. Verse 23, and and Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And he called her a woman because she was taken from the man. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 25, and they were both naked, and the man and the woman, and were not ashamed. But before that ever happened, Adam had to fall asleep in the will of God. This is submission to the will of God by trusting. You ever had your kids say, Daddy, just close your eyes. I want to do something. (laughs) No. I was one of those kids. I was a lot fatter when I was in high school. I mean, I was a big boy. I did not do trust falls at camp. No way. You know, when you, you don't see what's behind you and you just close your eyes and you're like, all right, my friends that never treat me right are going to catch me. I trust you. Go into it blindly. Let me tell you, trusting the Lord is going into blindly. It's just letting go. In your marriage, sometimes you have to trust him. When you can't figure it out, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him and he will what? He's going to take care of it. So Adam meets with God, and God says, Adam, you're working, doing great. You're, you don't even realize what you're preparing for. And you, you submitted to me. You're, you're obeying me and doing my will. <clears throat> but if you're going to keep on doing my will, you've got to trust me. Okay? So we're going to do something. We're going to have the first surgery, and I'm going to cut you open. And, and then out of you, I'm going to create a woman, another human being. You think Adam understood all that? He just said, whatever you want, God, I'll do. I'm trusting you. I'm going to fall asleep in your will. And through that, I'm going to see you do something incredible. So he fell asleep. God created a woman. And through that, God knew how to make a beautiful and perfect marriage. But it took trust. Some of you are not trusting the Lord with your marriage at all. You you worry and fret over everything. You're suspicious when you have no reason to be suspicious. You, you, you've maybe had a bad experience before. I don't know where you're at, but I know this. 
You have to fall asleep and trust God. It's like free falling out of an airplane and saying, God, whatever your will is, let it be. If you're not married yet, I'm speaking directly to you. You have to trust God by doing what he wants and don't worry about what you want. And then when you one day least expect it, bam, there she is. Adam woke up. He's done with the surgery. And God says, Adam, we got good news. Things went really well. (laughs) Buttoned you up really well. Actually, you don't even have a scar because you're perfect. You got a six pack. And God says, look over there. And he's like, that ain't no monkey. <laughs> that is perfection. And God says, not only is it woman, but it's a woman that's going to complete you and give you a perfect, good marriage. She's here for you. And if you follow my will and you trust me and you submit to me and you obey me, everything's going to go good. Adam says, yes, sir. Of course he does. Look, he's got Eve now. Now he has, now he has, he has, I'm going to stop. I'm learning to use my filter because there's so many things we could say here that are wonderful, but we're going to go to the next point, okay? It's great. It's great. Submission. He was submitted. He was ready. He had a good marriage. But we're going to follow scripture and see where it goes from here. It's the bad marriage. The good, the bad. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Look at here. So let me make sure you understand. God put before Adam and Eve a decision to make. Adam already knew about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now Eve has been aware of it. She knows what's going on. And, And the Bible makes it very clear that a bad marriage always begins with a bad decision. So here we are in the next portion of Scripture, and we see some things about to develop. And let me also say this. The fall of a good marriage comes by way of a choice. Would you agree with that? When Adam made the decision to disobey God, as we'll see in a minute, it destroyed his marriage. It made things go completely wrong. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, and verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience. Who's that one man? It was Adam. Many were made, what? Sinners. The entire human race suffered from his bad marriage. Let me remind you, before you make that decision to cheat on your spouse, it's not only going to affect your spouse, but it affects your whole entire family. And often, if you're one of those that are active in church, it affects your church as well. You know, you have to stop and ask yourself this question. In light of my future hopes and dreams and God's perfect will in my marriage, what decision should I make right now before I click on this, before I text that, before I instant message that person, before I just randomly show up where they're at? What is the wisest decision for my future hope and dreams? I had a friend years ago that was very active pastor, just dynamic, just incredible guy, growing his church, flourishing. I left Alabama, moved to Tennessee. I was a youth pastor there, and I got wind that he messed up, and I thought, there's no way. He had a good marriage. He had a good thing going on. There's no way. So I wanted to call him. I said, I I know that's kind of awkward, so I call him, and I said, I got to know. Bro, I love you, man, and I'm not trying to stir anything. I just need to know from you. Did this happen? And he said, Dave, it's true. Every bit of it's true. 
I'm not even pastoring now. My wife is leaving me. We've tried to fix it. It's not working. I said, how did it happen? And he said, it was a decision I made to stay at the church late when the lady that we hired was working late. It was a decision to walk by that area where she was at, say hello. And he said, always remember this, Dave. Be careful your compliments to the opposite sex. He said, it was a decision I made that destroyed everything. And he lost it all. (laughs) How do bad decisions develop in a marriage? Ever wondered that? I think if we follow scripture, which we are going straight through here, we can see. First, by placing your marriage in a compromising position. See Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to the next chapter. Now the serpent, serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He was sneaky. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So what does that got to do with having a compromising position? My question is this, and I never hear anybody ask this question. Why was Adam and Eve even near the tree in the first place? And why are they having a conversation with that snake if they know his reputation? You know what I believe? This isn't the first time they had a stroll by that tree. They didn't have this walk for the first time. I believe they've been having a walk by that tree many times. And I believe Eve walked by that tree numerous times and thought that fruit looks so much better than all the other fruit. And I'm sure by placing their marriage in a compromising position, that was the decision that created the first step to a bad marriage. Not only that, by placing your marriage in a compromising position, but how do we do or have bad decisions develop in our marriage? By allowing your marriage to have corrupt communication. Look who they're talking to. Chapter 3 and verse 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, any of them. This is the way it is. God made it this way. But of that tree, I'm paraphrasing here, in the midst of the garden, no, we can't, we can't get near it. We don't touch that. And then that sneaky snake, the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be open, and ye shall see and be as God's, knowing good and evil. You know what he reminds me of? Corrupt communication. Reminds me of that woman you work with, and your marriage is not doing too good, it's kind of bad, and you're just venting to her, and you say, Susie, my husband is such a pig. He just doesn't care anymore, and I just, he's always arguing with me. And she looks at you, and she says, you know what I would do? I just up and leave him. But, but the, the bottom line is she's on her third husband. And we so often are getting bad counsel that it is causing us to make bad decisions what end up into a bad marriage. And you do your messaging and you do your texting and you connect with your girlfriends or you connect with the guys and they're telling you, man, if that girl at work is flirting with you and your girl don't want you and she's not being sexually active with you, I'd leave her. It's nothing more than a reincarnated Satan. Let me tell you something. How do bad decisions develop in a marriage? By placing yourself in a compromising position, but also by allowing your marriage to have corrupt communication. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good and edifying. Let me tell you, that corrupt communication be in your home too. Some of you use the vilest language against your spouse. 
You never played baseball, but you can throw every dish that's in the cabinet. And while you're doing it, your kids are watching you. And they are mimicking you in their mind the way they're going to have their marriage be. And it's going to be a bad marriage. You could fool everybody else. You can't fool your kids. And that corrupt communication passes on to our kids. And our kids pass it on to their kids. And all we do is ruin generation after generation of people. But I'm going to tell you this. How do bad decisions develop in marriage? The other way is by focusing your marriage in the wrong direction. We're just following scripture what happened. Are you all with me? You all following with me? You see the process here? Genesis 3, 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave it also to her husband with her and he did eat. Eve stopped desiring the fruit that was rightfully hers and started focusing on the forbidden fruit. You ever wonder why she would do that? Because she thought the same way everybody else thinks. The grass is greener on the other side. I can, I can, have, I can have this. This is going to be way better than what I got. That woman's going to be way better than the one I got. That man's going to be way better than the one I got. Or maybe even their family you're looking at. Because this when you're looking at it, you're looking at it with the eyes of, this is pleasant, this is pleasing, this is satisfying. And then things develop into ugly. It gets ugly real fast. Look with me, okay? Genesis chapter 3. We see the good, we see the bad, now we're seeing the ugly. It got ugly fast, didn't it? She got bad counsel, she allowed herself to make bad decisions, and now it's rolling into an ugly relationship. And the ugly marriage begins in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. The ugly marriage is always the last stage. It's the stage you don't want to get to. It's when the marriage gets so bad that they start covering up things. They put a facade and a lie and, and they're ashamed of what it is. And they don't want anybody to know. It's, <clears throat> I hate to say it this way, but it is so true. And don't get me wrong. I'm not against makeup. I, if I could wear makeup and it wouldn't be weird, I'd do it because I'm bald and I'd like to cover some blemishes. But it reminds me of some women that they have all this luggage and it's all makeup and it's like a tackle box and it goes, and everything in that box is just like the same things they use to paint a house. <clears throat> you got foundation, that's just primer. And they put it on and they do all that stuff and it looks good. And thank God for it. I am so grateful. No, I'm not kidding. I love it. But it's funny because spiritually we do the same thing. We don't want anybody to see us. You ever went to somebody's house and they didn't put the makeup on? And you knock on the door, they come to the door and they're looking at you like a calf at a new gate and they just don't know what to do. And they're like, unclean, please turn from me. Don't look upon me. I'm unclean. They're ashamed of themselves like they're a monster. They don't want to face who they really are. I'm being dramatic here. But the fact is, so often in marriage, we find ourselves facing the same thing. We find ourselves turning away people because we don't want to communicate with them, go out to eat with them, because we don't want them to see the way it really is. They don't want to see that we're covering things up, because ugly marriages begins with a cover-up, and the cover-up of an ugly marriage is because of shame. They're ashamed of what they have become. Marriage is meant to be a portrait 
a beautiful picture for all to see, but that's not what happens in an ugly marriage. They want to cover it up because they don't want anybody to see what it's become. Remember in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25, if you rewind, and they were both naked and the man and his wife and were not what? There was no shame. They had a beautiful marriage. It was a good marriage. It wasn't even bad. It wasn't ugly. It was beautiful. There's no shame. But because Adam and Eve made a bad decision, shame came into their lives. What was pure and beautiful no longer is. The Bible says in verse 7 and 8 of chapter 3, And the eyes of them both were open, and, and, and knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves an apron. I don't get that. I don't see how an apron's going to cover much. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Adam and Eve could see what they've become. You see, the Bible says their eyes were open. They said, look at us. Look what we have become. And they were shameful. They realized that they become something they didn't want to be. They knew they were naked. They were looking at themselves saying, what have we become? You ever done that in your marriage and you look at each other and say, what has happened to us? Look how awful we are. It's shameful what we have become. It's awful what we have become. And you start to cover it up. You go to church and you put your smile on, but you know all the way to church, all it was is yelling and screaming. You know every night all you do is yell and scream. There's debate, there's friction, there's problems. It is a mess and there's a lot of shame because he made a mistake and she made a mistake and they're always bringing up the mistakes and there's conflict and there's anger and there's frustration. And so we, we sew the fig leaves together, put the facade on and go into public and act like everything's good. But it's not. It's really, really bad. It's really really ugly and things are getting worse by the way you can fool your friends you can fool your family you can try to fool your kids but you cannot fool God because he sees all he knows all and they hid amongst the trees because God was calling out to them and they thought they could hide from God you can cover up your your mess but you can't cover it up from God some of you today have an ugly marriage and you know it You went from bad to worse, and that worse is ugly, and you need to put it here now. Let me tell you something. The cover-up of an ugly marriage also is because of sin. It's not just shame, it's sin. Sin took a beautiful marriage and made it ugly. An ugly marriage marriage is because sin is behind the scenes making it what it is. It always gets in and makes things bad. It's when the man gets these creative, perverse ideas of what the woman should be because of things he's filling his mind with from the internet. And he made something that was pure and clean and wonderful into something ugly. It's called sin. It's when the woman gets so consumed with things like Facebook and Instagram and she spends all her time on the couch doing that instead of communicating with her spouse. That is an ugly thing. They go to bed at different times. They wake up at different times. They say hi and bye in the hallway of the house. and They don't have any relationship. They're glorified roommates. And it is ugly. And it's not good. And they want to cover it up. But you can't cover up sin because it just festers and gets worse. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9, And the Lord God called unto Adam. See, the sin's already done. They're covering it up. They made these apron things. And they're trying to make it where nobody can tell what's going on. But God knew and he called out to them. Where art you? Where art thou? Not you. Verse 10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that thou wert naked? Has thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded you not not to? And he said, well, yes, but she did it. 
That woman you took out of my, you took my rib to create that mess. She said, take this fruit. This looks really good, honey. We should do this. She made a mess of it all. We should buy this house. We're going to go in debt. I don't care. We should do this. And then it's a blame game. Well, you told me, well, you're the man. So man up. You're so busy blaming your wife from everything. You never learned to lead your own self. It's a mess. The Bible says, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. Whosoever confesseth and forsaketh it, them shall have mercy. I, uh, I, I heard just, just this week about a, one of the men of our church had a wound on the bottom of his foot, and it wasn't healing, so he goes back to the doctor, and it was all covered up and bandaged, and on the outside it looked good, like a professional put it all together. And when they peeled back the bandage, they realized the wound wasn't healing. It wasn't healing at all. And he said to me, he said, Dave, you know what he had to do? He had to scrape it open. He said he had to dig into it. He said, because the doctor said, the only way this is going to heal is we got to reopen the wound because there's going to be some infection down in there. And it never was taken care of in the first place. You know what an ugly marriage is? It's a marriage that's covered up a nasty wound and they never got the infection out. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about the fact they don't touch each other anymore. They don't want to talk about the fact that they don't have date nights anymore and all they do is fight and argue. They never get down to the root of the problem. There's no communication. There's no fellowship between the two. Or maybe there was a past situation and they don't want to talk about that because it hurts. But sometimes it's going to have to hurt to get to the root of the problem so you have to pull back the bandage and dig it out. And when you do, it'll start healing properly. Let me tell you, I am so grateful to Almighty God that after they were confronted and they could see what they become and God pursued them, things started to change. Even though Adam and Eve made a mess of their marriage, God still pursued them. The Bible says that the Lord called out and said, where art thou, Adam? In other words, I want you. I want to help you. Some of you feel alone in your marriage. God is trying to help you. Even when we give the invitation, you're going to stand there stiff in all your pride and say, there's no way I'll go to that altar. I don't want anybody to think I got a problem, but that don't fix the problem. Sometimes you got to let go, grab your wife by the hand or your husband by the hand and say, things have got to change. God not only pursued them, but he forgave them and restored their relationship. The Bible says that he said unto Adam, you and your wife, I'm paraphrasing, are going to go and take of this, this animal that's been sacrificed because it represents what? It represents the Son of God that lived and died. And you're going to take that skin and it's going to cover you like the righteousness of God covers us. You can't cover your own sin. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. But I can cover you and forgive you and change you. And you won't have an ugly marriage anymore. But you've got to be willing to trust me. You've got to be willing to be willing to try. Get over your pride. There's too many men that have so much pride. They'd rather let their whole marriage go to the grave than step out and say enough is enough. I am wrong. You are right. I've got to change. Some ladies need to quit getting their counsel from all the wrong people and say that is enough. It's enough. I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you stand with me? Just put yourself in your seat, stand and, and look up this way. Would you? Would you look up this way? Some of you are not married, and that's okay. That's okay. You need to think about these things before you get married. But you that are married, you either have a good or a bad or an ugly relationship. 
And I want to tell you, if you have a good one, you need to come to the altar and grab your wife by the hand and say, let's keep it that way. If you have a bad one, you need to grab your wife by the hand and say, we got to get out of this before it gets ugly. And if you have an ugly one, you need to just drag yourselves to the altar and repent and say, God, we ain't covering it anymore. It's all yours. Too often, too often, we leave the I do's at the altar of marriage. We leave them at the altar. We say, I do, and you commit yourself, and you leave it there, you leave it there. You remember when you left it there? But I'm gonna tell you something. If your marriage today is bad or ugly, then your marriage has to come back to the altar. It's time for you to look at your spouse and grab them by the hand and say, I do love you. I do want to start over. I do want to change. I do want a second chance. I do want to put aside my pride. I want to do what is right. I do forgive you.